Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it. Whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's putting his flag in this TCU game, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, thank you for, for starting there, Gerald. The, the the single best part of TCU week is is that uh, basically it's a hornet's nest already kicked uh, by SMU. Thanks for that, ponies. Um, if you aren't aware, there was a flag planted at, at midfield of... Um, SMU's, uh, I guess, Western Stadium, um, which resides in Fort Worth, Amon Carter, uh, which I think now belongs to SMU. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it not only was a, a gesture, it caused a, fruc- a fracas, uh, a Donnybrook um, between the two teams. Um, there was a Gruder film of who or who did not injure uh, Gary Patterson's uh, less, slightly less sweaty best friend, Coach Jerry Kill. Um, and it just, it's just, it, it, there's a war of words playing out in the media. Patterson is the angriest little toad. It's, it's just chef's kiss. Beautiful, uh, way to start TCU week, but also, uh, that might roll into the, you know, them playing angry, uh, for a change. You know, the old coach get, get kicked out because it gets a technical hype to the team up. Who knows? Um, but I'll say for the lulls, it's been great. It's, it's just such a weird lead up to like a week that shouldn't need extra storylines, but there are so many of them. I mean, the storyline is, and let's just be real. TCU has owned Texas for the last 10 years and that should be the storyline, but we've got all this other stuff floating around. It's hilarious to me. It's, it's kind of indicative of like this weird year of college football where like nobody's really that good. And so we've got all this other stuff that we're rolling in to make things more interesting, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and and again, just to put a point on it, if you're not aware of it, go Google it, read it all. But you know, again, the story is, is that Jerry kill in the kerfluffle was, uh, was, was roughed up. Patterson believed it was his, his, uh, the opposite team or staff, uh, said that publicly SMU's AD calls. Jeremiah Donati says, look, we've looked at all the film. That's truly not the case. Jeremiah Donati, who again replaced, uh, Chris Conti, seems by all accounts to be a good athletic director and good guy. Del Conti loves him. Um, basically says publicly, or at least says to SMU AD who says it publicly, we'll have Patterson walk that back. His accusations. Patterson goes to his next press conference and says, no, I'm doubling down. Also, I don't want to talk about that. I have Texas to focus on, but let me let me take a couple more shots. It just, it's just, it's fun. I, again, the best case scenario for UT is that it is a distracted mind for Coach Gary Patterson, and uh, and and he's still instead of breaking down Texas tape is is breaking down, uh, you know, again, still by still images of of the uh, the light Donnybrook uh, at midfield. There's zero chance that Gary Patterson has has been not focused on Texas. Uh, Because if you look at the record against teams before Texas and teams after Texas, it feels like Gary Patterson looks ahead every year to Texas almost. I mean, what, 0-6 over the last six the week before Texas? Uh, And then they're obviously, what, 7-1 over the last eight against Texas, I believe, is the stat. It's ridiculous. And, I mean, the the, the story from the Texas side is Texas hasn't won in Fort Worth since my bachelor party, and I'm now married with two children. So, like, that's how long <laughs> it's been for the Longhorns. 2013, the last time we went in the Fort Worth and came out with a win. It looks like the weather might be similar this weekend, but that's neither here nor yeah. there. TCU it will not be the same team on Saturday that they have been coming in. TCU is 2-1. and one. They've got wins over Cal, who hasn't beaten anybody. To, uh, they've got a uh, tight win uh, over Duquesne, who has a narrow win over Ohio and Virginia. Not the who's. C- correct. Who, who started their football? Yeah, Virginia Lynchburg. Not the who's, but who? who, who that, <laughs> that's correct. Who started a program? The Liberty University is Lynchburg. Not that one. The other school in Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, is uh, is started 
sports, just the general idea of playing sports two years ago. So you can imagine uh, Duquesne's 2-1 and record being a little misleading uh, there. So, yeah, they, they, they have beat Cal, who should have won that game, and Duquesne, who is a very terrible team. And, Basketball school. <laughs> sure, or something school. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I don't think TCU has put a lot on – paper but again you like you said it Gerald the two and eight or oh and six in the past six two and eight in the past 10 years in the week preceding Texas I am I am heretofore ready to make a proclamation that they for one week out of the year aren't the TCU horn frogs they are the TCU possums because I think <laughs> and again maybe this is my grand conspiracy I think that Arkansas Ropa doped us against Rice I think TCU however many weeks it takes until they play Texas Patterson refuses to show the playbook has guys held out being quote injured uh they're just playing possum I think they're, they're I think they're going to be way better on on Saturday cuz cuz I I don't know. I'm I'm I feel snake bit by this team and I and I refuse to to trust anything that that my eyes see again much like Gary Patterson. All right, we're like 7 7 minutes into this. We probably should actually talk about something of substance. So <laughs> again, TCU has not looked great over the last couple of weeks. They obviously uh, continue to not win the frying pan game over SMU. SMU continues to seemingly own the DFW area, at least as it stands right now. They're putting up billboards in Fort Worth. and It is what it is. But I think we, we have to start with the defense just because it's so uncharacteristic for a Gary Patterson team. TC right now is giving up three points per drive, 3.09 points per drive, which is good enough for number 113 in the country. They're giving up about five points. 1 points per, per scoring opportunity which means every time a team reaches the 40 they're giving up about 5 uh, they're giving 5.1 points up her TCU's defense has not looked great. That being said, they could potentially have anywhere from two to five additional starters that have not played in the previous three games back for this one. So it's hard to make a ton of judgments about TCU yeah. because they've got talent that's been missing. But as it stands right now, at least based on the last three weeks, they haven't looked like your typical Gary Patterson defensive juggernaut. Yeah, and, and I think, look... Um their their defense is I think you will see a different front than they tried against SMU I don't know again if they were trying something out they were without senior who went out last year and or holds the team high for for games played starts active sack defensive tackle uh Corey Bethley um they're without defensive end so I don't know if that shape uh, Kari Coleman I don't know if that shaped how they lined up but it was almost like they were inviting SMU to run and boy did they um if if they do somehow come out with that that front which again was not the typical Gary Patterson made famous uh spread busting uh 425 um the, then Texas should have a lot of success on the the ground. I think Texas is going to try to establish the run regardless um but but I do think that TCU might have a little bit different look to it just because it, man I I don't know if anyone even SMU coaches expected to have 300 yards rushing against that TCU front. I just don't think that's that's what you come in expecting, right? They 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 historically are not that. The talent level that we previewed with with uh, Coach Trebwasser in the in the season preview would not tell you that that they should be that susceptible. So it will be curious again if TCU changes that up again. If they if they don't, then you saw what Texas has done the past two weeks, and I feel like especially as Sark has has really adopted the kind of outside zone that that plays to the strengths that we saw at the end of last year lead to some really great rushing performances, and now as we done that two weeks in a row heavily seen two more great rushing performances yeah. you, you you think the odds are in the favor that texas will want to and should no matter what the look tcu puts out there have some success with that yeah and i think that's the matchup we have to watch especially and we, we alluded to it before with the potential downpour on saturday at game time like how does the the texas front match up with the tcu front that and the tcu defensive front again hasn't been great but they've got people that will likely be playing on saturday uh that haven't played this yet but again as it stands right now um they they have just a 12% stuff rate, which is not great. You want to be somewhere probably in the 20s on that. And they're giving about four line yards per rush, meaning on every rush, a running back has about four yards to work with before they meet traffic. So there is an opportunity again. And if, if Bijan gets ahead of steam, there's not many people that, that can 
tackle him one-on-one in open field. You're going to see that dead leg. You're going to see that uh, plant and shift and change of direction, that one cut, and then he's off to the races. So that's the matchup that I'm watching is, is can Bijan out do, outperform a man named Ulysses? That's really what I'm looking <laughs> for. Uh, the first man named Ulysses probably in at least 60 years, I think. But um, that's that's the matchup I'm watching is, is the Texas run game. Can Sark dial up and continue to find success with that outside zone? And can they get Bijan loose? Because this game is likely going to be a game of attrition. I know if the weather was better and things were different, then we might not have, we, we might have a completely different conversation, but we have to take into account the fact that it could be kind of a sloppy mess on Saturday. And so when that's the case, you've got to feed your running backs. And thankfully, Texas has a stable of dudes that they can trot out there. That's right. And, and, and TCU has some guys. We'll talk about their rushing attack as well. But again, you, you mentioned Ulysses Bentley, Civil War General, um, and, and Trey Siggers both went over 100, 253 between those two running backs. I just am going to go out on a limb and say that, you know, any two out of the three of Bijan, Keelan, and uh, – and or stepbrothers Bijan and Keelan Robinson and uh, Roshan Johnson are probably at least as good or better than both of those two guys who went over 100 last week. So again, the fact that SMU got 350, uh, I'm not going to sit here and project UT's rushing for 400 yards, but I do think, again, even if TCU's keying on it, that the, the line showed such improvement for Texas last week that even with a couple different bodies for TCU up front, even with a different look. I think this is a good test for Texas's offensive line. And also, I mean, admittedly will be a good litmus test for TCU season. If this one goes sour, cause we know this is their super bowl. This could get to be in a really, really long year for the Horn frog. So, you know, there's a lot on the line for them, especially UT obviously is trying to get through this, get the win, stay healthy and, and get to OU next week. Obviously no one's overlooking TCU, but yeah. th- this is, this is a, Huge game for both teams, without a doubt. But I, I almost feel like TCU has got more on the line just because, again, they they, they have something to say and something to prove. But uh, that point of attack will be where we'll be watching. That's that's where everything will come down to. Gerald, we remember very distinctly that, that last game into the downpour. And just, I mean, there was a long delay. But just how crazy those elements were. Think of some K, K-State games in the past in Austin that have been like that. Just seems like when we play these purple teams and it gets sloppy and muddy and a slobber knocker, um, UT is actually surprised fared well in those games against uh, those types of teams, which again may not be what the stereotype or what the the ESPN commentator who doesn't actually watch Texas might think. You know, Texas has, has, has thrived in those in the trenches and, and getting dirty and getting sloppy and getting nasty. But yeah, I, I, again, it, it, it will come down to that. And I think probably by like the second quarter, we'll have a good read on two things are for real, UT's offensive line and Tech's defense, or excuse me, uh, TCU's defensive line, or if there's some regression to the mean on both sides. Again, I wouldn't be shocked to see this normalize a little bit. And I think it's going to be a tight one. I, I do not see Texas running up the score. And again, that I, I'd be totally fine with that prediction going sideways if Texas is able to run away with it. But I just don't see it happening uh, in this game because I think, he, like Sark said it in his pregame, in his, in his Monday press conference, we're not eating the poison that this is going to be a bad TCU team. Right. And and that's that's the worst thing that you can be doing right now as a Texas fan. And and the the other thing I think we have to talk about is like the ability that Texas has to potentially start fast and, and get going early cuz that's been uh, a key for Texas and I think if they can get the offense going even if you don't have much downfield passing because of weather or Casey Thompson's limitations, like this is still within this weather, you could potentially create some things in the short and intermediate pass game uh, if yes. the offense gets going early. And, and, and look, Joe, we talked about it in our Texas Tech kind of breakdown preview. The the only place that, that Casey Thompson struggled, and we put struggled kind of in air quotes, was with a, a couple of deep shots not getting, you know, 100% of those. But his intermediate passing was as good as I've seen since Colt McCoy. I mean, just the ability to get the ball to people, let them do things, just kind of put it accurately, move and flow with that pocket of the offensive line and, and just get the ball out at the time when it needed to, tucking and running when you needed to. I thought it was a masterful uh, performance now at TCU. Let's let's not they they're 101st in, in rushing defense, um, but they they their pass defense is is pretty good. They they you know we talked about it replaced a Thorpe winner at safety, um, and so they're they're still have some guys back there in the safety room. They have one of the better cornerback units if if presumably Noah Daniels is able to return for this one. Um, but they have a first round level cornerback in in Ladanian Tomlinson's cousin Tra- uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, and then Oshawn Mathis is you know a preseason All Big Twelve 
defensive end candidate. I mean, he's a guy who who they haven't had success getting to the quarterback yet this year, but there's some there's some talent there. Again, if they bring in Kari Coleman and, and Corey Bethley on that defensive line, then you know they could look better than they have all year. They could try to get some pressure. They have not been successful getting to the quarterback. Casey Thompson has been successful dealing with pressure that came through the offensive line. So again, you think that's a plus for Texas if you just look at the trends, but this is TCU week. We, we have looked at trends before and been wrong, so we kind of throw it all out, but we're trying to arm you with the information that logically would make sense, and that's that Texas should have some success with the intermediate passing. Again, if, if Texas is able to work those slots, they may have some trouble with deep shots out wide, but the weather kind of sets it up to what Texas would want to do against this TCU defense in the passing game anyways. So this is probably Texas gets three weeks in a row of like throw out the trend games. I think normally against tech, you can throw out the trend. TCU can always throw out the trend, at least on the TCU side. And then against OU, it's a throw out the trend game. So I, I, again, for me, the game is going to be won and lost in the trenches. I think on both sides of the ball, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but I'm just going to be, I'm going to spend my time watching how Texas can get going early. What does the script look yep. like? How do they come out of the game or how do they come out of the gate? How do they come out of halftime adjusting? But like that for me, I said it just a minute ago, but if Texas can put together a couple of scoring drives and we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about red zone efficiency here just a little bit, but if Texas can put up, you know, seven, 14, 21 points in quick, quick, rapid succession, you know, against SMU, it looked like they didn't know how to put Max Duggan in comeback mode. And so if you can put Max Duggan behind, it just mm-hmm. seems like they, they haven't quite figured out how to put him in comeback mode. I guess the only way to say it. And the play calling in that game was so weird. If you, if you watched it, like Duggan, they looked good early. Duggan almost threw an almost pick. And then they kind of just turtled up and thought they could win at turtling. And they, they didn't And SMU ran away from them. And so like, I'm, I'm curious to see if something changes week to week or if TCU gets down a couple scores and they can't necessarily flip the switch and go from we're running our game plan to we we have to put up points quickly. Yeah, and again, I mean, you look at the past two first halves that Texas it's it's possibly the best two first halves that Texas has had in my time watching the Longhorns. Basically 11 of the 12 drives in the first half the past two games have resulted in a touchdown, 86 points the past two first halves, 763 yards in two consecutive first halves again one is rice one is tech sure but no punts in the first i mean again like you said a that does a lot for texas offense for the for the confidence you know patterson will make some adjustments and some switches of course but b like you said when we look at this tcu offense we know that max duggan can beat you two ways right we know that he can do it on the ground he can do it with his legs he's averaging around 240 yards a game passing and he's rushed for about 100 through 110 through three games and a couple of scores so you know he's still going to be a dual threat quarterback the the haunting image of last year of them scheming i think arkansas also used this one with five wide and no linebackers in the middle and you just knew tuggan was going to run um in that <laughs> game i mean you know that they they feel comfortable using that as as a weapon they have since you know he first kind of started two years ago as a, as a, as a freshman in this matchup. So I I think it will be a a key for Texas's defense to, to figure out what he's going to do. But I think you'd be remiss if you didn't build this matchup, Gerald, as the matchup of two Titans in the, in the running back room. Yeah. I mean that, that is, and I think even regardless of the, regardless of the weather situation, this is kind of the billing. Like if you're putting together a, like a poster for the pay-per-view, right? It's number one versus number two in Fort Worth to, to determine dominance. And it's, you know, B. John Robinson on the Texas side and Zach Evans on the TCU side who Zach Evans has absolutely lived up to the billing. I think, I don't know if it's rare to see, but it feels like these two guys both had incredibly high expectations placed on them coming Mm -hmm. out of high school and both of them are at I think I feel like at this point exceeding them I think Bijan is every bit as good as we thought and we thought he had a really high ceiling and I think he might even be getting close to exceeding that at this point Zach Evans was a guy who Texas was all in on for a while and then things got uh, a little interesting in his recruiting race and Texas backed off and that's totally fine and and we're gonna I want to say this and I want to get this out there I'm a big Zach Evans supporter because I like seeing kids get second chances he got a bad rep he got some bad advice from adults around him 17 year olds listening to adults 
Reynolds not giving them good information. Uh, and I'm so glad he's got it turned around. I think he he was upset that he ended up with a three seven five his first year, and like that's what I like to hear from him. So like I want Zach Evans to be really successful eleven Saturdays out of twelve. Like <laughs> uh, that is where I'm at because if Zach Evans lives up to the billing, he's averaging one ten per game, seven point nine a carry, and he also uh, he's not used as much in the past game as Bijan is. He's only got about seven percent right. usage rate in the past game. He's got uh, four catches for eighty four yards, but he ran for like almost two hundred against Cal. Uh, had 183 on 18 touches against SMU. He's a guy that if he gets going is an absolute game changer. And so again, like I said, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to watch Texas in the trenches. And does this look more like it looked like against Louisiana and against Rice and against Tech? Or does it look like Arkansas just going hog wild on that front and, and Texas is unable to respond? Yeah, and, and look, the again, in that 190 in Cal, a big chunk of it came basically, the, you know, when you watch football and you, you know, you figure out, is the coach going to kneel it here to go out? Is he going to take a shot deep? Is, is Lane Kiffin going to put Sebastian Janikowski out for a 76-yard field goal attempt? Like, what do you do on that play? And it says a lot about who the coach is, and a lot of times they'll just hand it to the running back, and guys say, oh, okay, well, that's never going to get anything. Well, that did get something. Zach Evans got a touchdown on that play, that run the clock out, but let's run it and see what happens. I think he had like a 60-yard touchdown against Cal and then again if you saw that Cal score and it came down to two point conversions like three of them for each team you know how vital that touchdown itself was and again that was a big chunk of his yards but he also you know ran for 190 so he had other runs against SMU he he ran pretty well but he also that's the first game we've seen him have gashes in the passing game so again while that's a key uh, a feature of Bijan's game it'll be curious to see if for Zach Evans you know that was a flash there was something schematically that happened there or you know what happened or you know if if that's going to be something that rolls out a little more in his game but uh yeah I mean he's averaging 110 a game and and um rushing and and almost eight yards per carry with with two touchdowns to get his touchdowns he's got some long ones but um, I, I I think right now Bijan has the edge. He's done it a little bit more. He's done it a little bit longer. He's done it um, with a little against better opposition, and he's done it with a few more eyes on him. But again, if I'm Zach Evans, and I feel like rightfully so is the number one running back in Texas, the number two at one point, the number one running back in that class, I have something to prove, right? I see Bijan this you know, if I'm the guy who's who's tapped as the brooding, you know, made some bad decisions kind of guy, and Bijan is the saint who's always smiling and happy and quoting Bible verses and, you know, getting hit and popping back up and smiling at the defense and just being, you know, a, a saint. This is that angel versus devil kind of if you're making the poster. Um, and if I'm Zach Evans, I lean into that, you know, and I, I'm, I'm hyped for this one. So I really think you're going to see two backs who each want to get to 200 yards the fastest. And I think they yeah. both have that in their bag. So, again... This feels a little old school in that sense. Again, rainy weather, uh, questions on the lines on, on you know, for, for each team. Um, running backs who are elite, like, just, you know, let them go and let them run at each other. It'll be kind of interesting. Just, you know, feels a little bit throwback, and I kind of I kind of like that. Yeah, if you've ever unironically said establish the run, uh, this is a game <laughs> for you, right? And I've said that, too. And I, I, you and I grew up playing in, a, like, you and I grew up playing in a system that this is probably going to look like on Saturday, where it's just like, we're going to go, we're going to running back left, running back right running 34 back power left, baby right and then play action <laughs> to the tight end right that, like that's what that's that's what you and i grew up playing in in good old shirts texas but that's what we're gonna see on on saturday at least i anticipate seeing that on saturday uh, i'm not upset that you know the weather potentially eliminates a guy like quentin johnston and a qj is a guy who would have a lot to say about the texas wide receiver room currently yeah uh, he was a member of that class alongside initially Bijan and then now zach evans but it's neither here nor there he flipped uh, right before <laughs> signing day he's a guy who you know is used for on about 15 percent of their pass plays nine catches for 133 and two scores tay barbers another guy texas fan should remember his name uh, seven catches for 161 and a score those are two guys that are insanely talented and mm -hmm. Texas has had some eye discipline issues in the secondary. We'll just go and say it. There've been some eye discipline issues and there've been some handoffs between zones that didn't go as planned. And those are two guys that if that happens, they're yeah. going to punish you. And you know, Max Duggan isn't getting as much of the, the hype as I think he, he should. He's, you know, He's, he's not the national darling, but he's shown up against Texas three years in a row. And so I, um, 
the Duggan can find those guys. He found them last year quite a bit. And those two guys are guys that can punish you in the past game. If you, if you get caught slipping, Quentin Johnson is a, is a take the top off a defense guy. Again, there may only be a couple deep shots in this game, um, but you don't want to be slipping literally uh, because of, of whether as we're anticipating or, or figuratively, um, you know, if I'm, Patterson and I'm breaking down the tech games, you know, Columbia came in and threw some great deep balls that, you know, stretched Texas's defense. So I, I, you know, if, if we get a quarter where the rain stopped, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see um, TCU also try a couple shots. They um, Barber, you know, has less catches, but is oftentimes um, in, in the past been kind of a, a medium to long receiver who can, who can come underneath. That's not to say uh, QJ can't also do that. Um, but again, I, I feel great if they're putting those two up against um, what Xavier Worthy is looking like right now as a true freshman, just unbelievable last week. And, and again, w- wanting to keep that momentum going. Um, and then also, uh, you know, another elite Texas high school uh, recruit who, who probably belongs in that level of conversation about high school players with the talent and production of Bijan and uh, Zach Evans, although he will be uh, dread lockless is, is Jordan Whittington. So again, you're looking at matchups. You have two receivers who, who get the, the bulk of, of catches for both of these teams. Um, I like Texas's too right now. I don't know that I would have thought that two or three weeks ago, but I like the way both of those guys have produced. Whittington has had some slight drop issues, but he's also gone up and made some great catches. So it will be curious to see um, which version shows up. And and again, if you're just looking for straight comparisons, Evans, Johnston, Barber versus, you know, Bijan, uh, Worthy and Whittington. Again, I think Texas has some extra guys on those margins, whether it's in the receiver or running back room who will have something to say. Uh, but, you know, just from a, a three skill position matchup, I think I think it, you know, lines up pretty well. And I'm going to give Texas the slight nod. But again, should should be fun to watch. It absolutely should be fun to watch. And there is no part of me that feels good about this, though. Like there's absolutely no part <laughs> no. of me that feels good about no. this. There, I will never until Texas has won ten of these in a row, and even then, I probably still won't feel good about it because it's it's just one of those games that I'll never forget the TCU player that two years ago like was injured and then was like, I want to come back and play injured to beat Texas one more time. And they came out and freaking beat Texas. Cause that's what they do. Yeah. And so like, yeah. it's, it's just one of those games that again, I will never feel good about it until Texas is either playing the reserves cause they're up a bunch or the final gun goes and Texas has a win. I will not feel good about this game at any point until it's over. And I'll just recap it one more time. If, if Texas offensive line can continue to look better each, each game is they basically, you know, call Louisiana week zero, if you will, in Arkansas week one. And, you know, if, if that's how you want to look at it. And that was the lowest point. If they can get better each game and they have rice and then even better in tech, if they can somehow be better against TCU or at least, you know, show some steps forward in improvement, even if they can't have zero pressures, which again is, is unreal. But if they can just look a little better, if they can look cohesive, if they can continue to gel, then I think, you know, a lot of that goes away because you have three solid running backs you can count on and maybe four if you want to throw the freshman in there but three really solid running backs who you can you can count on Casey Thompson who's looked the part so far he does have the trend of having an interception in each of the past two games but we'll see if he can buck that but a quarterback who looks comfortable against you know in the pocket with that line knows how to get the ball to the right guys they're using their their what they believe are their best skill position players and kind of instead of rotating a bunch of guys they're sticking with some units um and and you know Texas has, let's not even forget, a couple experienced and, and pretty, you know, good upside in, in Brewer and Wiley at tight end. And again, it, to me, all comes down to that line. I think TCU defense plays up from where they are. I don't think they can play worse. Um, I really think that unit looks awful, but I, I just I just am so skeptical, as, as Sark said. I'm not buying that, but I, I think they're going to, even if they aren't better this year, they're going to play better this week because they're going to play their tails off. So it'll be up to Texas's offensive line and Casey Thompson to continue to make the right decisions and then the backs to do what they do. So if all those things go right, then, yeah, I think there is a chance that this could be a comfortable game and Texas could win by, you know, 10 points, 14 points. But this could also be a game where Texas is, is down a score in the fourth quarter and has to scrap to even get to something or, or can't. You know, I, I, it could go the, – the range is, 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 you know, double digits either way depending on how Texas executes. But this year, and, and maybe not dissimilar to other years, I think Texas has that control. They own it. It is up to them to execute to be able to determine 
how we're talking about this next week as we break it down. And, and I think that's the differentiator is I'll, I'll go and say three out of the four weeks this year, Texas has been up for the moment. And then there's Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so which of those two are we going to see? 75% Texas is up for the moment. 25% the moment was too big for Texas. And I just don't know what Saturday is going to be. And the scariest part about that, your stat is absolutely right, and you hit the nail on the head as always, Gerald, but this is their first road game since Arkansas. Um, you know, remember how, and again, we had a freshman quarterback, but first game back from COVID, how unreal, one of the top five college football environments I've ever seen. Kudos to those Arkansas fans. TCU is not as big of a stadium, but don't get it twisted that their fans aren't going to be so angry. I mean, let's not forget Texas leaving the Big 12 has made people hate us even more. (laughs) This is going to be a hostile environment. The weather won't be great. There's going to be a lot of things against UT also. Um, You know, I said certain things are in their control about executing, but there's things out of their control. It's going to be loud. You know, TCU might get an extra call or two as happens in a home uh, game. Though with Big 12 refs, you never know. Um, (laughs) You know, the, the weather may not play ball. So it will be interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, Gerald, that that I don't know, I'm not ready to put this in a pod for Damas, but I just thought it was interesting to put out there. Texas had its first uh, non-offensive touchdown of the year, though they have had two called back now with uh, the blocked punt, uh, which which was a tough break, and the uh, the opening week Deshaun uh, uh, Jamison punt return that was called back. Um, they also had Jamison with the punt return. They got pushed out on the five. Poor guy can't catch a break. Um, he but, needs one uh, to tie Shipley. He's had seven <laughs> almost. I know. It's it's honestly it's it's devastating. But um, you know. Looking back at the history, look, you know, Texas in in going back the a decade or so, 2009 they had 11 non-offensive touchdowns, um, seven of those as returns, four uh, interceptions. They had two, four, three, three, two, four, basically in those years up until 2016, they were blank. They had none. And then 2017, they had eight, which again is is an incredible year. Five interception returns. They had a field goal block return punt and a uh, fumble recovery, I believe. So um, the past years in 18, 19, 20, they had two, one, two. Too. So I'm very curious as we talk about a sloppy potential game, a game that could have margins. As we saw um, Thompson, Josh Thompson get a pick six in the in the game last week, and Brockermeyer get another interception. It'll be very curious if Texas is able to, whether it's special teams, whether it's defense, whether they're able to. Uh, do something right their first defensive touchdown since 2017 if they're able to do that again all of a sudden this team you look at a an even better ceiling this game you feel a little bit better about i feel like that can be a backbreaker and i just wanted to throw that out there because these are both two really good special teams units um for tcu and texas um but i you know i am very curious if texas can get points at all outside of the offense then man what is our already elite offense really really gets a chance to uh to be scary Let's hope it's scary in the good way because I'm tired of it being <laughs> scary in the other way. So it's time. We we spent quite a while breaking down this matchup, what we thought, what we see, how it's going to go. But it's time. So let's let's start with our, our MVP, Kyle. Who's going to be your MVP for the matchup against TCU? I mean, again, I'm going back to where I went in week one, and, and I'm going to be obvious. I think B. John Robinson is going to have everything to say in this game now. Roshan Johnson has, has been working the uh, the red zone and taking some touchdowns. He's been a uh, in that wildcat package so far. His Bijan has just been a blocker. We'll see if this is the week or OU. They're saving it when there's another wrinkle to that. Um, but you know, I think whether it's working the middle of the field or or even red zone or again in in the passing game when um, short quick passes will will be you know on the menu. I just feel like Bijan Robinson is. The best player on the Texas team, the the most important player to Texas every week, and so we could say him every single week. But I feel like this is going to be a Bijan game. It's very much a Bijan game. We said it a lot. I really, I think my MVP is Demarvi Luke Brockershown. Uh, I think the linebackers <laughs> are, are going to be probably your your two marquee guys on the defense. The two guys that are really are going to have to step up. This Zach Evans is a guy who's going to test your edges and, and try to find those seams and. Again, three weeks out of the year, three out of four games, the the linebackers have been great playing their assignments, been great in run fits, and so can Texas, can Demarvin Overshone and Luke Brockermeyer fill those gaps and keep 
TCU honest and, and make sure that Evans doesn't have a big game. Because, again, I want him to have big games every other week, but not this one. So I want those two <laughs> to clamp down on it. Kyle, it's time. Podstradamus pick. So who? what is your first Podstradamus pick? And just to reset it, you are leading 5-3 on the season, 5-3, to three, your advantage. What is your first Podstradamus pick? Gerald, I'm putting it right out there, laying it on the table, my cards that is just right here for everyone to see. My Podstradamus pick, without equivocation, is that Beaton Robinson will outgain, at the end of the game, yard for yard, Zach Evans. The matchup of number one versus number two, guys with uh, you know things to prove and scouts salivating over both of them. Though Evans might have a good game, Bijan will have a better game, and Bijan Robinson will outgain Zach Evans straight up, yard for yard. If yours happens and mine also happens, this is probably a good game for Texas. I have Bijan going for 125 on the ground. 125 okay. from Bijan Robinson. So what is your second Podstradamus pick of the week? All right. So mine, I'm going to keep it uh, focused on some, some yardage here, but looking from the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just going to go back a little bit. 2019, Max Duggan showed up and showed out 273 in the air, 72 on the ground for 345 total. But, Gerald, we have gotten better every year at corralling the the wild card that is Max Duggan. The next year, 231 plus 79 on the ground for a mere 310 total. This year, he's averaging 239 through the air and 35 on the ground. Adjusting for Texas inflation, I'm going to say we went from 345 to 310. He's averaging 275, so I'm going to split that difference. We are going to hold Max Duggan under 300 total yards of offense, which again... I feel like that guy could get that on like four runs against us <laughs> with the way he he does it. So I'm 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 scared. Um, I, I think the you know again the fact that he's going to uh, lean heavily on the run game and not be able to pass or, or you know a, as frequently as as uh, maybe they would otherwise uh, is there. But I think under 300 yards for Max Duggan. And again, if I get both of mine, if if we outgain the running back and their quarterbacks held under 300, those things spell success for Texas winning this game. Okay, I like it. I like it. So I am my second one. I had I have a bunch in the in the chamber, and I don't know which one I'm going to settle on. So I'm going to go with Texas scores another non-offensive touchdown. I'm not going to say whether it's a pick six or a return or a punt block or whatever, but I think Texas. I think Texas is keyed up. I think the special teams, especially under Jeff Banks, is keyed up. So. I think that Texas has a non-offensive touchdown in them. I'm not going to corner myself. That's probably part of my Potsdamas issue is that I go too specific sometimes. So there's a non-offensive touchdown in this game for the Longhorns. All right. I, again, let's go four for four. I like all those things. Bijan for 120 and outgaining Zach. Duggan under 300 and a non-offensive touchdown for Texas. If all four of those things happen, I feel very, very good about uh, about our, our game and, and our entire weekend. We get to be in a good mood all weekend. I don't know about you, Gerald, but this is fun. I like breaking down tech, being really good, having elite performances, not punting, offense scoring, having a defensive touchdown. Those things were all fun. It was great to rewatch that game and break it down and go through the numbers. Like, I don't know. It's just it's much more fun to watch a, uh, a really good Texas team and, and, and do what we do. It'll be good for me if this goes really well. My wife and I are actually doing a little weekend away from the kids. It'll be nice. So uh, we'll be not at home. We will have our normal post-game live stream for you, though, on Saturday. We'd love to have you as a part of it. Following it will probably be from a hotel room. That's neither here nor there. But we'll be glad to have you on our post-game live stream and our post-game podcast following the TCU game, whatever happens. All right, Joe, let's take a quick whip around uh, the league. Uh, some interesting things in the Big 12 this week. The, we, the, the dreaded articles saying that Texas is the, the, the creme de la creme of the Big 12 absolutely terrify me. It, it makes me feel like we're going to lose by 30 to TCU this week. <laughs> uh, just to disregard all the analysis we just did, that's just the gut feeling. Um, but, you know, the, it's almost just that no one in college football is good, but in the Big 12 that is is as true as anything, and, it, and anyone can beat anyone. And that's shown by OU uh, sneaking by West Virginia 16-13 to on a walk-off uh, field goal. Um, they have now – Oklahoma has won – 
three games against FBS teams this year by 15 total points. Now they're undefeated. Give them that. Uh, but man, these are these are squeaky bum time uh, <laughs> clinchers. These are these are not the games that Oklahoma fans have have grown accustomed to of just mollywhopping everyone else across the conference. Yeah, there there's this weird thing. The OU fans were chanting for their backup quarterback and. I think it's more appropriate to chant we want competent play along the offensive line. Like that's the bigger that's the bigger <laughs> differentiator. OU went from having easily one of the best three offensive lines in the country to having just five dudes. And like yeah. that's not normal for OU. OU has absolutely dominated along the offensive line. And that's been a lot of what their success in the last few years have been. But we also have to like shout out like West Virginia's defense yeah. is nasty. Like that is a good defense. And if they had a halfway decent offensive offense they like I, I will be as bold to say they have a defense that could compete for a national championship they have an offense that could compete for a patriot league championship but that's <laughs> a separate conversation we'll have in a few weeks like their defense wants to keep you between the tackles and then just bleed you out i put it out there on twitter they want to have a knife fight in a phone booth and like that's what they're trying to do they're just trying to eat faces and i love watching that and again if they had a competent offensive game plan i'd be really really scared I do worry that this was the uh, the Spencer Rattler rattled game like Texas versus OU a couple years ago where, again, remember Texas benched uh, preseason Heisman favorite Spencer Rattler um, who gets all the juice from Lincoln Riley who's, who's had great success in, in Heisman quarterbacks. We'll see if Rattler ever lives up quite to that billing but um you know there is that scare that he already he already took it and then he grows from this and texas uh catches him at a bad time we'll see we'll talk about that one soon uh oklahoma state a future texas opponent coming up beat number 24 kansas state 31 to 20 um i thought both of those teams are good i think both of those teams are imperfect i think texas is better than both of those teams but again i don't you know, I'm not going to sit here and declare that we will beat both of those teams because they're both tough football teams. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State jumped all over them. It was like tw- it was like 21 nil before you thought about it. Mm-hmm. But Kansas State's a good football team. I think Kansas State they they've been bit by the injury bug a little bit, and so that's going to play a lot in their season. But I definitely think that uh, Kansas State is not a team you want to take lightly again because they're a purple wildcat. <laughs> Correct. Um, so the the game of the week for the Big Twelve, and maybe you know nationally, if there weren't some some wild ones going on, uh, Baylor beating again presumptive a lot of people's dark horse playoff team, Big Twelve. Uh, championship dark horse iowa state who um baylor won 31 to 29 but the the things that jump out to me iowa state outgained baylor by 197 yards almost 200 yards and baylor had 100 penalty yards neither of those things ever mean that you can win a football game and and 100 of the time that those two things both happen you're undisciplined and lose the the you know penalty yardage battle by 75 um and then get outgained by a ton um it means okay you won the turnover battle you you were opportunistic nope baylor didn't do that either i i don't i don't get it other than iowa state refuses to play all three phases they believe football in its purest form is only two phases of the (laughs) game and they simulate the third I, i i crazy the charlie strong school of no special teams coordinator clearly worked out well for him but it's it's just weird like i don't i don't know what else to like Baylor looked good and Iowa State looked bad. There's no real other way to, to talk about that. Uh, Bohannon might be the real deal. I think Bohannon scares me a little bit. Again, Iowa State finally played a team with a pulse and they lost. So I'm very curious to see. Well, I, I say they, they lost to Iowa, right? The teams with pulses that they sure. played have beaten them. Hey, give give Northern Iowa some credit. They always give Iowa State fits, and they did again this year. But, yeah, I think Iowa State's overrated. I, I wonder if we're going to snap judgment, overrate Baylor a little off of this. Baylor didn't have an offensive touchdown uh, after 537 in the second. They went out and just scored on their first few drives um, running the ball, which, you know, they, they looked good doing it. But Iowa State adjusted, and it was literally just that Baylor was, you know, blocked a punt, had a kickoff return touchdown, intercepted the potential game tying two-point conversion and they got to play against Brock Purdy um but yeah I I I don't know it's interesting we talked about TCU obviously lost 42-34 at home against SMU Kansas fell uh to Duke 52-33 in basketball uh no sorry football season uh I don't know why we're talking Kansas Duke but no um you know Duke might be okay this year kind of they 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 throttled Northwestern and now Kansas uh the Aggies fall to an elite elite Arkansas team who is now the I guess state uh, state champions of Texas 
need to beat some other teams and other teams will take issue with that. But I mean, Arkansas might be good. And I think, um, the Georgia game is going to be like the best, you know, 13 to 10 football game we've ever seen potentially. Uh, but Arkansas is real good. Sam Pittman has that team moving in the right direction really fast. And I, um, like, I just don't like, like the Aggies might not be good offensively. I don't know what, yeah. what scheme Jimbo was calling. He kind of went away from what worked and, you know, put the hands in, in, in the guy who lost his quarter, put his faith in the hands of the guy who lost his quarterback battle. So like, I'm not necessarily sure what that was. Gerald, not counting Mike Roach, who's kind of our auxiliary and third honorary <laughs> host of this podcast. Texas A&M has as many touchdowns this year against power five teams as this podcast has hosts. That's two. Uh, not great. Not great. Jimbo four and nine now against teams with top 25 offenses going back to 2017. And three of those four wins were Wake Forest, North Carolina, NC State, who snuck into the rankings. But let me just quickly, I'm going to run through Scattershot. We're not going to give any depth here. Um, no one's good in college football this year. It's yeah. perfect chaos. I remember 2007 when Texas had a heartbreaker because we thought one week we might be the one who's good. But no, no one was good that year either. Um, and it feels like that after we, we came off the uncertainty of COVID and had the least amount of data points probably since like a world war post year. We just, no one knew what was going to happen this year. Well, that is, that is true. We still don't know. 25 rank losses through four weeks is the most in the bowl era of college football. Number nine, Clemson falls to NC state in overtime. Number 21, North Carolina. Sorry, Mac uh, falls hard to Georgia tech. They, they got, they got beat. Uh, Auburn eked out a win over Georgia state. Brian Harson, the two former uh, Longhorn coaches, not, uh, not necessarily thriving uh, there. Iowa had to rally to beat a very bad Colorado state team. Uh, BYU Squeaker almost lost number 15 BYU lost to, uh, or excuse me, beat one win South Florida, but it was close. Uh, Michigan held off Rutgers. who's not a great team. Michigan state uh, needed overtime to beat Nebraska, who we thought was really bad. Maybe Nebraska's okay. Fresno needed to come from behind against winless UNLV. And then I won't even talk about Todd Orlando's defense, uh, for they weren't ranked, but just, just saying who's not good. It's South. It's, uh, Southern California, they're they're not good. Gerald, <laughs> let's let's talk about next level, the Longhorns in the NFL, because we have to talk about this. First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest Longhorns at the next level. Truly, if his skill, what you are asked to do at your position, I don't know that any Longhorn has gone to the next level and done that thing better than Justin Tucker, who is unreal and this week hit a 66 yard uh walk-off which again that's a very long walk-off oh yeah that's also the longest kick in nfl history he hit uh on a walk-off field goal uh in detroit on the road uh just 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 superlatives run short for how good justin tucker is at the job he gets paid to do he is easily the greatest pro longhorn that we've seen in modern times, right? Like there's probably somebody that you could argue, but like, again, pound for pound, like what he's asked to do. I don't know if there's been a, a longhorn better than him. 50 consecutive field goals he's now made in the fourth quarter, 29 of those greater than 48 over five. 50 consecutive fourth quarter field goals. The guy is the most clutch kicker, the most accurate kicker. And also, Gerald, I know you love this. You gave him the nickname Aggie Bane, and... He he got to do it again because I don't know if you realize Lions head coach Dan Campbell uh, played a little tight end at, at Texas A&M. Good. Um, he, <laughs> if he got to play an Aggie every week, I guarantee that Justin Tucker would average 40 fantasy points. Just gosh, he, he loves beating you Aggies. Put an Aggie on every NFL roster and the Ravens are undefeated. That's fair, but we also don't want that many Aggies in the NFL. Hard just just don't, don't do it. Yeah, although Miles Garrett, I wouldn't mind more of him. He's very good and fun to watch. Devin Duvernay, though, another guy's fun to watch. Had uh, a touchdown catch for the Ravens in that one. Uh, he had two catches for 22 yards. One of those was a touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. Uh, Longhorns accounted because uh, Tucker had most of them with his four field goals, and Duvernay had a touchdown for every point scored by the Ravens. Gerald, do we have a controversy of brewing? Are the Ravens with Deshaun Elliott also in there? Are they the new Longhorn Central? Uh, it's, I mean, them or Seattle. It's hard to it's hard to pick for me, Kyle. I don't know which. I prefer the Ravens. I'm an AFC guy, but it is what it is. Uh, the Ravens are my team, so I hope everyone jumps on board there. Also, uh, a team that puts a claim in with, with just sheer amount of guys, P.J. Locke, uh, Calvin Anderson, um, uh, Caden Stearns, uh, Beck also playing H-back for them. Stearns himself, though, had two tackles, a PBU and an INT in this one. Good to see the the young Wolf uh, doing it at the next level. And his high school teammate, Gerald, from Steel High School, Malcolm Brown for your Dolphins. Seven for 31 and a touchdown. Look at Steel and uh, 
uh, UT pipeline to the NFL looking good. Also on your Dolphins, Brandon Jones, four tackles, two sacks, Gerald. I love to see uh, safeties get two sacks in a game. The guy's good. Uh, Colin Johnson, surprisingly cut by the Jags. Urban Meyer obviously hates UT and doesn't know what he's doing. Got picked up by the Giants, had five for 51. And then probably the Longhorn of the Week had it not been for Justin Tucker doing utterly outlandish things. Jordan Hicks rolling back the clock, eight tackles, two sacks, one forced fumble, one pass breakup. The man knows how to fill a stat sheet. All right, Gerald, let's take it home with Godzillatron. What are you watching on your giant screen? There hasn't been a ton of time. It's been a busy week at work, and, and I've got some deadlines coming up. So I haven't had a ton of time to uh, binge much. But I have been – I did take a moment when I was turning my brain off. There's a new uh, Star Wars thing on Disney Plus called Star Wars Visions, and it's like the nerdiest sentence I'm ever about to say. It's like anime-inspired <laughs> Star Wars cartoons, and they're like 10 minutes yeah. long. So I like I don't pay attention to them while I'm washing dishes. But it's good. It's fun. It's, it's Star Wars, so I'm going to watch it. But that's like legitimately really all that I've had. My wife and I are caught up with Ted Lasso, I guess. Like that's really it. Like there's not necessarily a whole lot uh, that I – I've had margin for in the last couple of weeks. Fair enough. It's getting close enough time that I can finally activate my free month subscription for Apple TV and, and catch up on season two of Ted Lasso. And I am salivating at the opportunity. Gerald, I watched a movie that I haven't seen in years uh, with my wife called Big Fish. Uh, Ooh, you familiar with Big Fish? I am. I had not seen it probably since it came out in 03. So I was in a much different headspace 18 years ago than, than I am now. Um, and the son and father's story and the kind of magical realism uh, of it all uh, hit different. I, I thought it held up phenomenally. And in fact, like I said, as, as you know, an adult, uh, I enjoyed it significantly more probably than the first time I watched it. My wife, it's one of her favorite movies. She's loved it. Um, so it was her pick, but I, I liked it just, just infinitely, uh, more. I also liked that, like the, uh, the character recurring kind of bully character is, is, uh, went on to be, um, Pam's, uh, original fiance in the office. Uh, he just, the guy's agent knows how to get him cast, uh, Roy in the office for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know if, if, Billy Crudup, Ewan McGregor, or any of them have ever been more, more charming. Just a, just a, just a great, great film. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time, and like the father son thing is probably going to ruin me this time. Uh, so I'll probably <laughs> have to check it out again. It's it's always a good watch. Uh, so yeah, I, I love it. Thanks for the wreck. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod on Facebook and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. So we'll be back on Saturday with your post game live stream. We will both remember to record our audio so we can get that up on the podcast feed as well. We apologize about that, technical difficulties and all of that. So uh, Saturday for the live stream and then again on Tuesday for your recap. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook 'em. Take a step back, Gary. <laughs> <laughs>